April 14th, 2019. The late innings have been the cause of and solution to all the Nats' problems. The bullpen's been all wrong, but what's gone right? Plus, should this be how we do it? And we buy and sell baseball's first place teams. From Ann Arbor, Michigan, it's Jacob Rash. From Boston, Massachusetts, it's Johnny Rash. This is the Rashcast with Jake and John. Hi there, and welcome to the Rashcast with Jake and John, uh, episode 9. I'm Jake. And I'm Johnny. So, we are recording this on a Sunday morning as opposed to a Sunday afternoon, so we won't have coverage of today's game. But, uh, so far this week has been pretty good for the Nats, 3-2 and two this week. Uh, including a three-game series win against the Phillies that was best known for a very, very exciting game on Wednesday. Or Tuesday, pardon me. Wednesday was also good. Uh, I just, I can never remember because we've had so many off days. What days of the week anything happens anymore? But, uh, so Tuesday obviously was the, the game where the Nats were down 6-1 to one, uh, in the fourth inning and then slowly chipped away. Uh, they got five runs off of Aaron Nola, uh, and then in the ninth inning, down to their last strike, had Victor Robles hit a home run over the left field wall to tie the game, and then in the tenth inning, had Juan Soto hit a ball into outer goddamn space, uh, which ended up giving them a lead that they would never relinquish. That was a fun, fun game. One of the most fun April games I can remember for a while. Honestly, probably since the Dan Ugla game, but uh, we don't like to talk about that season. No, I mean that turned the season around until it sure didn't did. anymore. Yeah, yeah, that was that was great. Uh, but no, that game, I think, was the first game of the season that was really actually enjoyable to watch. Uh, yeah. Mostly because you know I'd given up hope, and then all of a sudden, you know, you watch the team chip back and chip away. And then, uh, I mean, the the most fun wins are the wins where you least expect to win. Uh, and they, they really snatched victory from the jaws of defeat there. As opposed to their normal MO this season, which due to the bullpen, they've been snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. Uh, and they had another game like that this, this uh, week. They had a game on Friday in which they were they came into the eighth inning up two to one and ended up losing six to three in ten innings, mostly due to the bullpen. I mean, yesterday though, we the Nats came back again uh, down two one with two swings of the bat, back to back home runs from Adam Eaton and Howie Kendrick. Um, so that kind of comes along with the theme of the season, you know, scoring a lot in the late innings um, for both sides, both offensively and in the bullpen. Uh, this year, the Nats are both in second place. They've actually have a even run differential in the seventh inning on 35 runs scored and 35 runs allowed, which is both second place in both categories. We're behind the Mets in runs scored, uh, with they, we have 35, they have 44. Interestingly enough, 22, 22 of those runs have come against our bullpen. <laughs> um, and then we're also tied for second at runs allowed with 35. So there's been a kind of. You know, we give up runs late in games, but we're also scoring a lot late in games. Um, 
which is uh, if you're going to give up runs, at least, you know, hopefully your offense can match it. And they so far have. Uh, we've had a lot of timely hitting this year, too. Uh, we're first in the league in, in runners in scoring position average, hitting 324, uh, which is very good for us. Um, you know, we've been scoring a lot in key situations, and I think that's really indicative of I, the lineup uh, construction. I think a lot of people this week have been talking about moving Victor Robles out of the nine hole, but I, I so far have really liked him there. Uh, kind of fills out the lineup, and so you know we're getting a lot of key hits and key spots, and I think that's made up a lot. This is the reason why we're seven and six and not much worse. Yeah, I mean the interesting thing about you know the Nats have had three comeback wins uh, over the course of this season. You know they've had seven wins total, and three of them have been comeback. Uh, and obviously only one of them is required to save. That was yesterday. Uh, so the interesting thing about it is most of the teams that you would think would have a ton of comeback wins, the key to a comeback win generally is a bullpen that can keep you in the game, that you can sort of keep chipping away against you know, a big deficit because your bullpen keeps you in the game, and the Nats bullpen has not been doing that. The Nats bullpen, as a matter of fact, has created some of the necessity for comeback wins. Uh, if you remember the Phillies game, the second game of the series at home, where the Nats were up 6-2 to two and then 6-4, to four, and then the bullpen gave up four runs, necessitating a comeback win. The point is that the Nats haven't really been following a typical script. Uh, you know, they've been scoring and you know, showed resiliency offensively despite their bullpen, which I think is interesting, if nothing else. I don't know what it means, but, uh, you know, I just I can't imagine it's easy to go out there uh, knowing that no lead is safe because it certainly isn't easy to watch, but they still keep the, you know, if it's inspired them to keep a mindset of, you know, we have to keep scoring, then obviously that's working. Yeah. Yeah. And this team isn't just like, you know, Tuesday night's game, especially that was a game where we could have, you know, six, one in the seventh. It's a game where a lot of teams don't, you know, it's hard to come back from that, but we've put up good at bats. Um, you know, a lot of this particip- precipitated by uh, actually having an offensive catcher, uh, two of them actually. Uh, Jan Gomes homer to really start the rally back uh, on Tuesday. Uh, Kurt Suzuki homered on Wednesday. So that's a nice change of pace, actually having uh, not a black hole from the catcher spot. And that kind of has also helped fill out the lineup um, from having another spot in the lineup where someone's actually going to hit from. Uh, so just, just is, uh, so Suzuki homered on Monday, not on Wednesday. Monday, Monday, that's right. Right, in the loss. Um, but, yeah, I mean, still, it's... Yeah, I agree with that. And I think, like you said about Robles hitting ninth, you know, between having offensive-minded catchers and having a position player and a good position player hitting ninth, it really does lengthen the lineup and keep it from, you know, having a real black hole innings as opposed to black hole spots. And they certainly do have black hole spots, which I think is a nice segue into our second discussion, which is Brian Dozier. The biggest yeah, black so hole the, of them all. 
Yeah, so yesterday, Howie Kendrick got the start over Ryan Dozier, and he came through big time with the game-winning home run in the eighth. Um, so far this year, Howie Kendrick has been a lot better. In a much smaller sample size, but a lot better even than, than Dozier. Uh, in six games this year, Dozier, uh, Kendrick has six hits, two home runs, is hitting 600 on the season, uh, four RBI, and compare that to Dozier in 11 games, who has one more hit only in almost three times the at-bats. Um, seven hits, only one home run, two walks compared to Kendrick's four, 11 strikeouts, only one RBI. He's hitting a pedestrian 163 on the season with a 233 slugging. So, not great. Um, so, today again, the Nats are starting Kendrick over Dozier. Do you think this is the right move and they should do this, keep, continue this going forward? I or think... They keep... Oh, uh, I think they should find at-bats for Kendrick wherever possible. I mean, I don't, I don't think that 11 games is the right time to pull the plug on a guy with the offensive potential of Brian Dozier. I mean, obviously, there's a possibility that Dozier's cooked. I mean, that's why they got him for one year and $9 million. Uh, a guy who is a 30-home run, 40-possibility home run, second baseman, normally wouldn't go for $9 million, even in this depressed market, uh, unless there was a significant possibility that he was cooked. Uh but I'm going to be honest, I thought that Howie Kendrick was cooked coming into the season. I mean, the guy is 35 years old, coming off of major leg surgery. Uh, I did not expect him to be hitting the ball as hard as he is, uh, which, I mean, it's a great sign. None of the, the hits that he's had have been flukes, and he just hit a ball 435 feet yesterday to, to win the game. He's crushing the ball. Yeah, he's actually um, leading He's leading the NL in uh, average exit velocity in the second in baseball behind Aaron Judge. So he really is, you know, not missing the ball when he hits it. Compare that to Brian Dozier's 210th in the league. Uh, so it's... And where is our good you know, friend Wilmer Defoe? Ooh, Wilmer Defoe, out of 342 players in the league, Wilmer Defoe is 334th. Well, so, that doesn't seem to be very good. No. But here's the, th- here's the thing about Dozier, and I agree getting Kendrick as many bats as possible is good. Uh, he's certainly keep hitting the ball well right now. Um, meanwhile, Dozier, though, he's always been a slow starter. Uh, he always comes alive in the, after the All-Star break. It's career-wise, April and March is his worst OPS month. Uh, he has a 671 career OPS in, in April. Um, Compare that to around June, July, August, where it goes up over the 800s. Uh, so Dozier always is a guy who comes around around after the All-Star break. In the season where he hit 40 home runs, he hit, doing quick math in my head, 29 of those after July. And 23 of those uh, in September, August, September. So he's the type of hitter who really will heat up as the months do although it has been pretty hot so far this year. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. The run environment right now is ludicrous. It's, you know, even before the temperature has really warmed, if teams are are hitting a ridiculous number of home runs. Uh, So I don't know if the weather has anything to do with it. I mean, 
slow starter or not, there's a difference between a 600-ish OPS and uh, he's got now a 450 OPS, which is not good. Not good at all. Uh, not good at all. No. Um, but one thing that you do lose, and this is a segue into our next topic, one thing that you do lose by putting Kendrick over Dozier is a little bit of defense. Kendrick is not very good defensively. No, and he uh, he looked he looked terrible yesterday. He made a couple of plays where uh, so he he turned this double play for instance where it just it seemed like it took him forever to pivot his body to uh, it was he started the double play didn't turn it but it was a ground ball to second uh, hard ground ball he. It took like a full beat for him to pivot his body uh, to make the throw to, to short. And just, it seems like, you know, he also he made an error yesterday on a slow ground ball, although, you know, that was more a product of just bad luck than anything else. But he just, you know, he seems kind of slow at second, which is what you'd expect from a 35 year old coming off of major leg surgery. But this would fit into a common theme this year of Nat's defense performing poorly. Um, so, do you want to talk about that? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you've seen a lot of sort of fundamental mistakes. Uh, for instance, Friday, uh, you saw Adam Eaton overthrow a cutoff man on a throw to third that it ended up costing the Nats a run uh, and possibly a win. Uh, but it's not just the fundamental mistakes. The Nats are 25th in DRS. They are 29th in UZR 150 among all teams. Uh, they're ahead of only the Mariners, who are truly bad defensively, but we'll save that for later. Uh, it's, it's not reassuring. You know, there was this conception among maybe the beat writers, if not the fans, that the Nats' defense, which was abysmal last year, was going to improve, if nothing else, because they wouldn't be playing Bryce Harper in center field. Uh, and the truth is that the defense has looked very, very shaky. Uh, and, you know, there's a combination of reasons for that. Uh, for instance, none of the the uh, the big defensive statistics like Anthony Rendon's start to his season. I, I think that's not important. But uh, you know, Robles has looked very raw in center field. Uh, mm -hmm. Soto is not a good defender. Uh, we knew that coming in. Uh, Eaton still looks like his range may be diminished from its peak. Although he looks healthy, uh, I just I, I I don't know that he's going to be the. I mean, that's the problem with sort of acquiring a a right fielder whose value is hugely based on his defense. Uh, if that defense goes away because of normal aging, uh, not even just injuries, then you're sort of left with a much diminished player at a peak offensive position, like right field. Uh, it's just, it's, 
it's sort of troubling because the Nats did spend a great deal of time talking up their defense and their defensive improvement. Uh, not that this is really a staff, a pitching staff that relies so much on defense. A lot of strikeouts on this staff, uh, but it's sort of one of the areas that we thought we'd see improvement in and we really haven't. Yeah. And I think, you know, we've also seen Defoe replace Turner so far, and Defoe's defense has just been... I don't like him out in shortstop. He just looks so awkward every time he fields. He always seems to catch it on the in-between hop, um, and he always... He does the Trey Turner run throw, but he can't do it. <laughs> so... Well, Trey Turner shouldn't be doing the Trey Turner run throw. No. But he at least is successful in it. Yeah. I mean, I I understand that, and I know that the defense will probably improve a little bit when Turner gets back. But it's to me, it's largely the outfield defense, not the infield defense. Uh, and there's no fix for that. I mean, the the long and short of it is, is Robles is going to get going to have to get better at reading the balls. Uh, Soto, I mean, is going to be Soto. I don't think that, I mean, he might improve. The, the truth is that he's, you know, he's got at least average speed. There's no reason he can't be a pretty decent left fielder, but he doesn't seem to have the instincts for it. Uh, I, it's just, it's a little concerning to see that something that was such a focus uh, of the, at least the conversation in the offseason hasn't really materialized. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's move on to more of a major league topic. Um, so in this young season, we have a lot of surprise teams in first place. Uh, however, some of them were, I'm, were high on and some of them were not high on. Uh, so we're going to break down which teams we think are our first place right now are legit and which ones are quit. Um, so and which teams are just, too legit to quit? I think that's a big that question. Sense. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I'm going to talk about the team I really think is um, not is is a legit team this year, and that is the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, so far this year, they've gotten a surprisingly a surprise performance from from their two guys they got in the Chris Archer trade, uh, Tyler Glass now, who's been Lights out, you know, three starts. He has a 50.053 ERA. Um, he has a strikeout per nine of 11, and he has very much limited. He's only has 1.6 walk per nine. He has just been transcendent this year, um, as well as Austin Meadows, who's really been carrying their offense a lot, hitting 385 with a uh, 12.55 OPS, six home runs, 16 RBI. Eight walks to only oh, 13 strikeouts. I thought it was only said two strikeouts. But I, the reason why I like the Rays this year, and I think they're legit, is because now they have a solid one, two, three in Glasnow, um, uh, Snell, and Morton. Uh, and I think with their bullpen, they have enough pitching to get through the year, as well as their offense. Uh, Tommy Pham is one of the most underrated batters in baseball. He's hitting 276 this year. Uh, he, uh, Brandon Lowe is looking pretty good so far. Lau. One of the big prospects. Lau, sorry. Uh, Yandy Diaz, one of the big trade, they, uh, one of the guys they got in the, 
it went from the Indians in the three-team trade this offseason is looking pretty solid for them at third, uh, 500 slugging, the 260 average. Uh, so I think their lineup has enough pop and enough offense to carry them, and I think their pitching is good enough to win. I, I think if not win the East, maybe not, because you still have the Yankees, you still have the Red Sox, and I still think one of those two teams will figure it out. Uh, probably I would if I had to choose one of those two, I would say the Red Sox, only because the Yankees' injuries really worry me. Um, but the Rays definitely can compete for a wild card, maybe even the one number one wild card spot. Who knows? Um, they'll definitely be a force in the division throughout the year, and I think it's going to be a really interesting year for them. Uh, I think this is a team that many I considered nothing. I didn't really I counted them out at the beginning of the year. I thought last year was a fluke, but I think they're proving that it really wasn't. I think Kevin Cash has done a great job with this team, uh, and I think he'll probably win Manager of the Year. Well, I mean, I you look at this team, and sure, they've got a bunch of interchangeable parts offensively, but the offense isn't the story. It's the starting pitching and the pitching in general. I mean, mm-hmm. the the bullpen is a story, mostly because of Jose Alvarado and his yeah. amazing stuff. I mean, there just aren't a lot of 99-mile-an-hour two-seam fastballs from the left side that you see, even in this age. Uh, they have sort of, they still have one spot in the rotation that's sort of an opener type thing, Uh, but they've got actually four starters that they're using now, and Snell, Glasnow, Morton, and Yanni Chirinos, who's looked pretty decent, Uh, and obviously the top three, it's just, it's funny to me to see a team that has quote-unquote, innovated so much with their bullpen usage, basically be kept afloat by their starting pitching. But, yeah. I mean, it's it's legit. The starting pitching is legit. We knew that Snell was going to be good coming in. Uh, we knew that but Morton it really was, was probably going to be good. And it really was the development of Glass now that really puts him over the edge. I mean, he always was, had a high ceiling, You know, top, one of the top prospects in the Pirates organization, but never figured it out in Pittsburgh, and now it's figuring it out here in Tampa. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, they're as long as those top three keep pitching, I mean, they're not going to keep pitching to a collective uh, ERA under two, but as long as they keep pitching reasonably well, I, I don't see any reason why this team can't compete. I mean, the Red Sox and the Yankees are, you know, slow starts aside, very, very, very good teams. But uh, the Rays, much to my chagrin, I guess, because I hate the idea that a team that essentially didn't really try, you know, I mean, they signed Morton, but they're fielding a payroll that's, you know, that wouldn't have looked out of place 20 years ago. Uh, You know, I I don't like that a team that's really not trying from that perspective can succeed especially when they're you know pulling the kind of chicanery that they did when you know basically inventing the opener to get out of having to sign a starter uh but that all being said this is a very talented team and they could compete for the division yeah so who do you think is uh legit from the first place teams so the team that i would take as legit from a first place team is the San Diego Padres. Uh, 
Listen, I'm not saying they're legit as a choice to win the division. I think the Dodgers are still, you know, the obvious choice to win the NL West. But uh, the West is the weakest division in the National League. And that in mind, you know, there are a lot of talented teams in the Central and the East, but the Padres get to beat up on the Giants and the Rockies and the Diamondbacks, and the Rockies have looked absolutely terrible. Uh, and just the idea that they get to play a lot more bad teams than the rest of the possible wildcard contenders, I mean, yeah, I, I could see them winning the second wildcard. Um, and I think that they're another team that, I mean, for all the talk about sort of their offense, uh, and Machado, who's sort of been off to a pretty decent start, nothing to write home about. Fernando Tatis has looked amazing. He's tied for the team lead in home runs. He's slugging 538, uh, all as a 20-year-old that no one expected to be in the big leagues at this point. But uh, you know the the strength of this team so far, and almost shockingly, has been their starting pitching. Uh, namely, Chris Paddock and Nick Margovicius. Uh, and I just wanted to say Margovicius because I wanted to show you that I know how to pronounce it. But uh, Margovicius is an interesting guy because Margovicius throws a fastball that doesn't break a pane of glass. I mean, barely tops 90 miles an hour. Uh, but he's, he's got this funky delivery. He's, I mean, he wasn't really a prospect. Uh, but he's only 22 years old right now, uh, and I don't know what else to say about him except he's just an interesting guy to watch. But Paddock is the real prospect, and Paddock is—I mean—he's very much unlike. The interesting thing to me is that Paddock is sort of like Trevor Richards in that he's all fastball changeup, but unlike Richards. Uh, Paddock has a fastball, a fastball that averages 94. It's something that you have to respect. Uh, and the other thing he does that's really interesting with his changeup is I don't think I've ever seen a pitcher who front doors his changeup to left-handed hitters. Uh, and I just I, I think that Paddock pitches in a way that is very much unlike most other pitchers in baseball. Uh, and I think that you know he's an interesting guy to watch, if nothing else. But I think he could certainly be the ace of a rotation. Maybe not this year. I mean, that's the problem with the Padres. You know, so many of their pieces seem to be a year away from really being great. But uh, I don't know. I mean, they're off to a hot start. If they keep getting good performances from their young starting pitching. Uh, you know, everyone in their rotation is under 27 years old. Uh, sure, they could certainly win a wild card spot. Yeah, I agree with that. I think the team, yeah, I think just with the AL being the dogfight that it will be, I think the second wild card is going to come out of the West. And if they're the second best team in the West, then they'll get the wild card. Um, so moving on to the team that I do not believe in. I'm going to talk about the Milwaukee Brewers, the last year's NL Central winner, 
who's currently in first place in the NL Central. This is a team that's built around their bullpen and bullpen success. Uh, that's what got them to the playoffs last year. Uh, that's what helped them make were one game away from making the World Series was their strong bullpen. Uh, and this year, the bullpen has been a little not as good as it ha- was in the past. It's been pretty mediocre. Uh, 453 ERA, uh, F- uh, 454 FIP. So pretty much, you know, it is what you see. Uh, now, Josh Hader has been great again. Uh, no runs given up so far. Uh, nine innings. Uh, strikeout per nine is 15. So he hasn't been the problem. It's been the rest of the bullpen uh, that's been really struggling. Uh, outside of Alex Claudio uh, and Junior Guerra, the rest of the bullpen, you know, and there's nobody in the bullpen who has an ERA lower than four or five. Uh and so when you have a team built around the bullpen, you know, you don't sign starting pitching for a reason because you think your bullpen's going to survive. It becomes a problem when the bullpen isn't your strength anymore. Uh, now their offense has been pretty good this year around middle of the pack. Uh, but it's, I don't think this team's going to make it through July, August. I think the Central's too good. I think the Cardinals are too good. And, you know, the Brewers right now are the only team without a positive run differential. And I think that... The only one team of the, the other teams is only team in the central. Sorry, um, and I think one of the other teams in the central will just take them over. Probably the Cardinals. I mean, uh, you look at the bullpen. You look at I, the bullpen's problem is injuries. Uh, obviously, they've lost Kniebel probably for the whole year. Uh, they should be getting Jeffers back at some point. Uh, but more than that, the Brewers took a calculated risk at the start of this season that they could. Take Brandon Woodruff and Corbin Burns out of their bullpen, put them in their rotation, and the bullpen wouldn't suffer and the starting rotation would get better, and that they didn't need to sign a starter. Well, the bad news is that the bullpen has Strawford, and the worst news is that Woodruff and Burns have been bad in the rotation so far. Now, Woodruff has been less concerning than Burns. But Burns has a 10.05 ERA in 14 innings. He's given up 16 runs, uh, and he's looked and he, he's looked every bit of that struggle. So I mean, you make a calculated risk that you don't need to spend on starting pitching, uh, and sometimes it backfires, and sometimes it backfires spectacularly. And I mean, obviously, it's too late to say that's what's happening in, in Milwaukee, but I could certainly see it. Although, on an unrelated note, Woodruff and Burns sounds like a really good uh, 90, 70s cop show. Oh, I could totally watch that. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so, so the, the team that I don't believe in uh, that started off hot, I, I don't think that anyone's going to be surprised by this, is the Seattle Mariners. Now, obviously, I don't think really anyone believes in them at this point. Uh, listen, they scored a ton of runs. Uh, they are... Hitting, you know, their, their triple slash as a team leaves them with an OPS that's just 900. Obviously, that's pretty good. Uh, and so what I'll say about the Mariners is that basically if you gave a team to a 1999 era sabermetrician and told him to construct a team around the market inefficiencies, they would look a lot like the Mariners. A ton of power hitting. Uh, a uh, 
a ton of power hitting, a bullpen that is full of fungible guys whose names you've never heard of, uh, and basically no team defense. And it reflects in the fact that they are 30th in both UZR and DRS, uh, that they went on this insane home run streak. Yeah, none of this seems to be sustainable. They're a team built on extremes, and you know even the the offense that they're getting seems unsustainable. I mean, these aren't guys that you would expect to be hitting the way that they are. You wouldn't expect Daniel Vogelback to be hitting 424 with seven or six bombs. I mean, it's just it all feels so sort of unsustainable. And yeah, I know that you know. Having 13 wins in the bank when no one's trying for the second wild card is a pretty big deal. Uh, you know, that's why 538 has the Mariners with already a 35% chance at the playoffs, which I don't think anyone would have predicted two weeks into the season. Uh, but, yeah, it just it seems so artificial. I can't imagine it sustaining itself. But for the Mariners fans who are watching... Uh, enjoy the ride because this isn't what anyone expected out of you. So at least you're getting a couple weeks of competitive baseball. Yeah, it's better than no. Yeah, none. Uh, so anyway, that's all the time we have today. Uh, I hope you all enjoyed listening to this, uh, and we'll be back again next week with another new episode. Yep, uh, more baseball to talk about. Well, thanks so much for listening, and yeah. see you next week.